Dan! 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 Hi, and welcome to Dancast, the digital advertising news podcast brought to you by SearchStar. My name's Nick Livermore, I'm the marketing manager at SearchStar, and I'll be joined every month, I expect, by our managing director and media buying guru, Dan Fallon. Um, I must apologise that we're both uh, pretty ill at the moment, um, and I'm dosed up heavily on Hall's menthol mints. I'm not sure what Dan's on, but I'm sure it's pretty potent. I'm on Potter's cough pastules. Potter's cough <laughs> pastules, if anyone's ever heard of those. Other, other um, menthol mints are available. Um, but uh, Dan, so tell us a bit more about yourself and SearchStar. Okay, so hello. Um, I set up, I'm Dan Fallon, I set up, I'm the MD. I set up SearchStar 12 and a half years ago, seeing the need for a really good digital ad buying operation for mid-sized businesses. I could see that the big London ad agencies were doing a good job at digital advertising for their sort of traditional Procter & Gamble style clients, but the sort of whole raft of mid-sized advertisers weren't being looked after properly. They were either being clogged snake oil solutions by dodgy salesmen, or they really didn't have anywhere to go. So we set up SearchDart, and we've thrived ever since. We're now a 45-strong team and growing happily. This is obviously just the first episode, so we won't do this every time, but um, a bit more of a sort of a elevator search star pitch. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we're basically a company in Bath, and we um, run PPC, programmatic, social ads, video ads, do a bit of conversion optimization with websites, and some Google Analytics and consultancy work with, I don't know, something like how many? 200. 200 now, 200 clients up and down the UK and maybe abroad a bit and that sort of thing. Um, the observant among you, though, will have noticed that the podcast shares its name with Dan, not the other way around, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't an ego trip. Dan, Dan hasn't... my wishes. Dan hasn't um, spearheaded this, uh, but it seems to work nicely as a sort of hint as to what's going to be covered in the podcast, uh, which will be plenty of insight from Dan. Uh, as well as some tips and strategies that you can use to improve your own digital advertising. Uh, incidentally, if you do have any questions or things you'd like us to cover in future episodes, you can mention us on Twitter with the hashtag DanCast, um, and we'll sort of try and cover that next time. But uh, anyway, first, uh, straight into the meat, the meat of it, uh, we would like to look at uh, the changes Google has made to its YouTube advertising policy. I'll give you a bit of background. Um, Basically, YouTube's self-policing nature has been brought into focus recently, a result of the Logan Paul scandal, which, you know, probably isn't worth talking about here. It's not uh, particularly nice, but if if you'd like to look a bit more into that, you can online. Uh, Essentially, what it means, though, is that Google is trying to clean up YouTube's act, uh, introducing a raft of advertising changes. Uh, The biggest change is stricter criteria for channels to be monetized. Uh, Historically, content creators needed to have 10,000 views before they could monetize their channels. Uh, That policy has now changed, and instead, channels need to have 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time over a 12-month period. Uh, This is set to become active on uh, the 20th of February. So clearly, the, the sort of bar 
for being able to monetize your content on YouTube has been raised significantly. Um, but I was wondering if you had any general thoughts on this, Dan. Yeah, I mean, Google's having a massive push on YouTube and video advertising. They can see it's the future. They can see it's where the consumer is going in massive numbers. The consumer is watching vast amounts of video, whether it's on Facebook or on YouTube or wherever. But the advertisers aren't following, which is bothering Google. They're, they're largely keeping their branding money on TV. There is a move coming, but it's not coming nearly as fast as, as, as Google wants it to. So the problem, the problem as Google sees it is the customer's gone there. The advertising eyes are there, but the advertising dollars haven't followed. Which unfortunately means for Google, that they're, because they run auction models, that they're having to lower the cost per thousand. So they're selling, they've got all the same amount of advertising to sell. They just they haven't got that many advertisers. They're having to sell it too cheap. And one of them, or there are two big reasons why the advertisers aren't following. One is a lot of the advertisers are having trouble producing the content. They're not used to producing video advertising. A lot of Google's smaller advertising at the, at the sort of smaller end. And at the larger end, the advertisers are wary of YouTube. They're used to understanding the programming of TV, but a few of them have got themselves into a bit of trouble on YouTube by having ads shown against content that's dubious. I mean, and the volumes we're talking about are tiny because the majority of the dubious content is getting sort of very, very small numbers. But media, people like the Daily Mail have been extremely good at embarrassing mm-hmm. large corporations um, who've been caught. And I think there's a certain amount of self-interest from the Daily Mail, which is quite likes um, keeping the advertisers' money on properties like itself and isn't enormously friendly towards YouTube. Um, but they've been doing a very good job of embarrassing anybody who's got caught. So Google have determined that they are going to clean up YouTube. They've raised the bar, and they've raised a bar that, in a way that I suspect they didn't want to have to do. Because what they've done is they've essentially said, look, we cannot, we're going to, only the larger YouTube channels are going to be able to carry advertising. All the little people, unfortunately, aren't going to be. And that's essentially because they've gone to a manual control method, that they've got, they're going to be screening those larger sites and they've just realised they cannot do the long tail of YouTube publishers. So do you, do you think that's going to be, an, do you think it's a positive or negative change in Google? And, uh, but for, for who, you know, because you've got the media channel and also the I think you can argue it either way. You can argue it means that Google's going to be releasing slightly less supply, so they're going to reduce the amount of advertising of, of, of space where you can put advertising, which will slightly up the pricing. It'll mean that the advertisers, however, get more reliable spaces to, or spaces to place their ads. It will mean that for some niche advertisers, they find that they're, they're unable to put their content on some of the smaller sites they'd like to, because those sites simply aren't going to be allowed to carry the advertising. I think it's quite harsh on some of the smaller publishers, um, who are struggling when they've been used to getting their $40, $50, $200 checks each month. Suddenly they're going to zero because they haven't hit the criteria. I also hear that Google is being pretty hard on dubious content. So people who are putting out lesbian, gay, LGBT content, even though if you're liberal about LGBT content, you wouldn't actually find it that offensive. Mm-hmm. Google is playing safe and just saying no. If it was about gay dating, it's a no. If it's about straight dating, it's a yes. Okay. Which you can you can judge to be fairly harsh. 
So you think so? So basically, there's just it's negative for some people, positive for others. Um, it's broadly for advertising. I mean, Google isn't stupid. For for most mid-sized advertisers, it is simpler for them to run good quality or advertising on good quality sites. So broadly, it's positive. I think if you're concerned about censorship and that sort of thing, you might be a bit bothered, but from a pure advertising perspective, it's probably a good thing. They've also made another change to their preferred network, which is for the, for the larger sites where, where they have, Google are guaranteeing the quality of the sites by saying these are all sort of quality sites. There, they are going out there saying that they are 100% manually checking all of the preferred sites to make give advertisers within the preferred sector even more confident. And I think the um, the case, the, the Paul case, the Logan Paul case that you were talking about earlier on, that he was actually within the preferred advertising stock. Yeah, so, so that he was, was doubly in, embarrassing yeah, for Google that they were caught there. He was in the top yeah. whatever percentage of, 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 of people on YouTube that actually were trusted content providers. Um, but obviously that didn't work out really. Um, Okay, so so sticking sticking with Google, uh, mm-hmm. although moving moving away from YouTube, um, we've got Google's voice search guidelines, which uh, is something we've been talking about on our blog on the Search Star blog recently. Um, but basically, Google have released their voice search guidelines, kind of similar to their 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 search their search guidelines. Um, Google have said uh, that they ask raters to make sure that. Answers are satisfactory across dimensions, uh, which means that um, when someone's searching for something with voice, um, they're looking for information satisfaction. The, the content delivered to that, that searcher um, should answer uh, the information needs of the user. Um, they're looking at length. Uh, when, do, when, a, when a displayed answer is too long, this is directly from the Google guidelines, uh, when a displayed answer is too long, uh, users can quickly scan it visually and locate the relevant information. For voice answers, that's not possible. It is much more important <coughs> to ensure that we provide a helpful amount of information, hopefully not too much or too little. Uh, some of our previous work is currently in use for identifying the most relevant fragments of answers. Uh, they're looking for good formulation, uh, basically making it easy to understand a badly formulated written answer uh, than an ungrammatical spoken answer. So more care has to be placed in ensuring grammatical correctness when using voice search. Um, and finally, they're looking at elocution. Uh, basically, that spoken answers must have proper pronunciation and prosody. Uh, inf- improvements in text-to-speech generation, such as WaveNet and Tactatron 2, are quickly reducing the gap uh, with human performance. Basically, um, that means that Google is becoming better understanding uh, what humans are saying. Although we did talk to BT a little while ago and he said that... um, He said, the the bloke from BT said that um, Google can't understand the Scottish. So so if you are, if you're Scottish, uh, it might take a little bit longer for you to be able to start using voice search. Um, But what's your take on this, Dan? Um, I think the whole voice thing is enormously interesting. Um, The... How people are in future going to choose to interact with their phones to what extent they're going to want to the, the people people are very 
good at voice commands and at voice search. At the moment, typically, they're getting their responses back on a screen. It's going to be really interesting to see the extent to which they go and get their voices, the, the, the response back on a search. So if I search for what's the best restaurant in Bath for me tonight, do I want somebody to come back and just say, go to Pizza Pizza? Or do I want a screen to come up and show me a range of options? Because if the, if the voice, because it's much simpler for the voice response to give me a list of answers with some fragments of information about each, showing me the TripAdvisor rating, showing me the distance away, etc., as a visual list. Whereas if the voice comes back and starts scrolling through that Pizza Pizza is 50 yards away and it's rated 3.2 stars on pizzas and have pizzas from £6 to £10. But I could go to Pizza Express and it will have... And that's all going to become quite tedious. And, but, logically, you would expect... You know, when, when I ask somebody a question, if I was to ask Nick a question, Nick, where shall I go for a pizza tonight? I... I don't know. I, I don't live in Bath. Okay, but you've given me you've given me a good flash. You've given me a bad voice answer, but you haven't chosen to write it all down on a piece of paper. No. Whereas, and that's so obviously, I would like the computer to be good enough to give me a voice answer, uh-huh. but the computers are quite a long way away from it. But they're very good at giving me a visual answer. So at the moment, voice is voice to voice, voice is sorry voice to screen. But these guidelines are to do with how Google is starting to think about voice-to-voice. And going through them in turn, it's... There's, there's, and, and when they talk about these 10,000 testers they've got, or what, what are the word they use for them? 10,000... Raters. Raters, yeah. Raters. Basically, they do have a whole pile of contractors sitting in offices around the world whose job it is to go through various aspects of search and run a human eye over it saying, was that a good answer or wasn't it a good answer? And each time they say yes or no, the computer learns that it either got it right or it got it wrong. And it's all grist to the computer algorithm. We once had somebody who worked at SearchDark whose job was porn or not porn. And essentially his <laughs> job was to sit in, a, sit in the Google office in Dublin and to be shown a series of images of probably women in swimsuits or not in swimsuits. And he had to judge whether the woman was in fact wearing a swimsuit or not. And the computer would go, yep, you got that one right. Or he would disagree with the computer and the computer would then go off and go, okay, he thought she wasn't wearing a swimsuit. Okay. And he said it was a pretty numbing job. It wasn't, it wasn't his <laughs> finest hour. Apparently he did it quite a lot of damage. <laughs> um, but anyway, back on. They've got these raters doing the same for voice. And what they're trying to do is work out whether, if I ask Nick, can you recommend me a restaurant tonight? And he goes, oh, I don't know. In which case, or, or he gives me a slightly too long-winded answer, or in some way I just go, look, honestly, that you haven't answered the question. What I want is the computer to be my very well-informed best mate who goes, actually, for you, Dan, I know there's somewhere great, there's somewhere you'd really like, they do lovely pizzas, it's very warm and friendly, and actually, given that it's your wedding anniversary, I really think you'll like it. Yeah, and, and well, luckily, Google's better informed than I am. Yeah. So they, they certainly will, in the future, at least, mm-hmm. be able to recommend yeah. Dan a pizza restaurant in Bath via voice search. Yeah, and, and it needs to be the length, it needs to be short, can't be too long, or if it's long, it needs to be worth it. And that's how it does that. It's how the, the sort of formulation of it, is it grammatically correct? People are more forgiving 
of text being wrong than language. People are, I think, talking to a friend of mine who used to run um, automated voice in call centres, he said that people were incredibly intolerant of when you get the voice wrong. You have to get it absolutely spot on, otherwise they'll pretty much just sort of throw the phone at the wall with disgust. And I think the same will be the same in voice search. If the computer doesn't get you immediately and doesn't give you clear answers back, people yeah. will just go, this is rubbish. And I think it's an it element of trust as well, isn't there? I think yeah. people are less if they're less likely to do something if they don't trust it. And if, if that computer's not answering them satisfactorily or grammatically in a grammatically correct way, they're less likely to get on board with it. So this is all incredibly important to the sort of the take up, the, the, the take off of voice search. Um, and this is actually all part of quite an interesting new field that's about to come. Historically, people have developed apps for phones where you go onto a phone and you go into the Domino's Pizza app and you say, you know, and you go through a, an ordered mechanism to order a pizza. The likes of Domino's are developing voice apps so that I go into Google Voice Search and I say, order me a pizza. And they say, would you like one from Domino's? And I go, yes. And then Domino's take over the conversation and the Domino's voice app will then say, okay, what size of pizza do you want? What do you want on your pizza on it? Where can we deliver it to? How soon would you like it? Are you okay with £34.99? Can you give us your credit card details? Thank you very much, Dan. And it's about, and they're developing voice pathways, conversation structures, and that, that's what they're programming, and that's what these guidelines are to do with in terms of is it at every stage, has the information satisfaction been good? Has the length of conversation required been good? Has all the formulation of the sentences been right? And has all the elocution been right? And Google will be scoring in the same way they score search results. So they'll be scoring Pizza Express versus Domino's for customer satisfaction, for how likely am I to slam the phone down and go, that was rubbish, I'm just going to go online and order it, versus how likely am I to become a satisfied customer? And they will bring in quality score regulation for how efficiently these things can be done. So it's going to be an interesting world that's probably going to really come to life probably in about a year's time and get pretty huge over the next one to five years. That was going to be my next question, just like a final word on voice search. What do you think the voice, future of voice search is? In five years, where do you think it's going to be? Um, I think in five years it's going to be completely dominant. I think the idea of typing something in is going to be pretty anachronistic. Uh -huh. um, once you see people getting into voice search they tend not to stop I know I bought myself a new phone about six months ago and suddenly I'm much friendlier to it I'm much more likely just to be walking along the street and just sort of ask my phone can I have directions to the station please well you've, got a, you've got a Google Pixel I have a Google, Google Pixel 2 um, nice other thing. smartphones are available. I, I, I have an S8, which I, which I think is far superior, but we won't go into that. Um, but in the Google Pixel 2, and, and to a lesser extent in the S8, uh, I think um, voice search actually is starting to actually be built into the hardware a lot more. You can, with the Pixel 2, you can just say, OK, Google, and um, my phone didn't react. But um, that'll bring up a little speech uh, interface and you can just go ahead and search what you like and it'll come back with an answer. Uh, it may not be satisfactory yet but you can see that that's starting to be built into it and on the S8 I mean there's a button for Bixby uh, like uh, physically built into the hardware of the phone for voice search um, I haven't actually tried it and I hear Bixby's a bit rubbish but nevertheless it's there and you can see the trend. Um, but anyway that's enough on Google and voice and Advertising and that sort of thing. Let's talk about Facebook. Uh, if you're 
If you're friends with Dan on LinkedIn, can you be friends on LinkedIn? Are you a friend? If you're a connection with Dan on LinkedIn, or if you follow him on LinkedIn, you'd have seen his um, his, his little post called uh, Don't Be Evil, uh, Facebook Feels the Zeitgeist recently, uh, where he discusses um, a major shift in the way Facebook's page rank algorithm prioritizes content. Basically, this means that Facebook, over the next few months, is going to downgrade posts from businesses, brands, and media to allow consumers to see more content from friends and family. In Zuckerberg's own words, uh, we built Facebook to help people stay connected and bring us closer together with the people that matter to us. That's why we've always put friends and family at the core of the experience. Research shows that strengthening our relationships improves our well-being and happiness, but recently, we've gotten feedback from our community that public content, that is, posts from businesses, brands, and media, is crowding out the personal moments that lead us to connect more with each other. He also said that Facebook had a responsibility to make sure our services aren't just fun to use, but also good for people's well-being. I know you've got some quite strong thoughts on this, Dan. Uh, you did write a post about it, after all. Tell us. Tell us all. Um... I think it's a, it's partially it's a realization that there was quite a strong. Well, I think Facebook was realizing itself that there was a move amongst. I mean, some of some of Facebook's own directors had been found to be banning their families from using it and limiting their the amount of time that their children could be on Facebook and on social media, and I think Facebook s- smelt that there was a proper problem coming, that they'd created, they'd gamified Facebook so much that it was becoming quite addictive. And it was not a social good. It was in danger of becoming something that you were warned not to do, that almost came with a health warning in the same way that smoking kills and the number of alcohol units, you're increasingly going to have to be sent a weekly email by Facebook. You know, it would be some sort of law that would say that Facebook would have to say you have send you an email once a week telling you how much time you'd wasted and pointing out all the more useful <laughs> things that you could have done with your time that week. You say are you saying that Facebook's gonna go branding free like cigarettes? Ooh, Facebook's damaging to your health. Facebook they could have said Facebook is damaging to your health, please Facebook go out and do kills. some exercise and read a book and go and talk to your friends in real life instead. Heard it here um, first, folks. And I think I think I think that may be a slightly far pitched view of where they were potentially gonna end up. But I think they could see that 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 was a path they certainly didn't want to go down. Um, So they said, right, we're going to... And I I think a lot of people were generating very clickbaity content for it that you could just... I'm sure everyone's done it. You just suddenly think, how on earth have I just wasted 45 minutes reading about... I'm trying to think of something. 15 different ways to get a flat stomach. And you read all 15 different ways and actually you're no closer to a flat stomach than you were at the start of the 15 apart from you looked at an awful lot of adverts. How many of them have you tried? Um, eating less and running more. Two. 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 Uh, they work. Um, <laughs> he should, he's, he's beach ready. <laughs> Dan Thumbin's beach ready. Um, they also, cynics say that actually by doing this, they're forcing some of the people who were gaining content, some of the other com- almost competitor media owners who were gaining traffic off Google the likes of Lab Bible, who are getting very good at creating content, were have been hit quite hard for this. So their advertising revenues will be damaged. They will possibly be forced to advertise on Google, that on, on Facebook. That won't do Facebook any harm. I 
I'm quite sceptical about I, I'm not a big fan of screen time, especially for children. In general, I actually thought this was a really good move. It's probably the first of many moves they're going to make in this direction to stay on the right side of liberal opinion. Huh. Um, but I thought it was a good opening step, and I thought it was it was quite an interesting, well-thought-through one. Actually measuring how they put it into action is going to be interesting. I'm not sure quite how that's going to be possible, but I'm sure people will be monitoring it and we'll keep an eye on it. Does the does the cynic in you have any opinion? The the true cynic about actually Facebook's just doing this for greater revenue, essentially. No, it is doing it primarily to to stay in the right. Okay. But Google would have been very relu- Facebook would have been very reluctant to do it had it had a significant impact on its commercial revenues. Okay. The fact that actually the impact is going to be going to be or the balance in that they're acknowledging that people are possibly going to spend less time on Facebook, but I think it's going to bring more advertisers into Facebook because advertisers are going to be forced to advertise where they used to get the traffic for free. Uh-huh. And I think the second effect will, to an extent, cancel out the reduced time that people spend on Facebook. You might find that when Facebook starts implementing it, they can't quite handle or that their ad execs find it too painful to watch the ad impressions drop and they start to row back on some of it. But I think they're doing it for the right reasons. They're interested in the, the medium long term of staying on the right side of the regulators and public opinion. So Zuckerberg, there, there is a human in there somewhere. There is a human in there somewhere. And I think the title I gave to the post, which was a reference to Google, Google obviously published Google Zeitgeist and they had a mantra at the beginning of don't be evil. And Facebook have been pretty cynical from what I've seen so far in their growth they've uh-huh. really just sort of aggressively gone for the money and the growth and I think here is the sort of first acknowledgement that actually maybe G- Google had realised their power earlier on and had resolved that they weren't going to be evil and I think Facebook have also smelt the same thing so there, there we have it uh, topic of the month Facebook page rank algorithm changes newsflash Zuckerberg is actually a human um but anyway, uh, that's it for the, the first episode of Dancast. I think that's probably enough for, enough for the first one, don't you think? Bring, yes, please. Bring, probably bring a few more please sections. Come <laughs> yeah, please come back. Hope it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, the second one will be markedly better, I'm sure. Uh, in the coming months, we'll be bringing you more of the same, uh, or perhaps better of the same, uh, plus a few interviews with industry experts, uh, as well as hopefully some tips from Cert Star's in-house talent. I know uh, Ryan Webb is dying to get on the microphone our, our conversion director so um, perhaps we'll have him along next time to give you some tips on on conversion but anyway bye for now bye thank you